We have several that are visiting with us, and we want you to feel welcome while you're here. On behalf of the Chamber of Commerce, I apologize for this weekend. <laughs> Sometimes we call ourselves the Sunshine State, and it doesn't fit at all. You can come here for a whole week and not see the sun. Uh, but uh, there's not much we can do about that. We hope you do enjoy your time here. Uh, we're going to study from Philippians chapter 2, and what we're going to do this morning is really uh, sort of pick up where we left off last week in our study of this uh, text uh, throughout our theme this month. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, beginning reading, the, the, the apostle said, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that you may re- so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. We mentioned earlier that uh, our theme really is about shining as lights and that that, uh, that we were going to get around to talking about the uh, use of the terminology light and how what Paul is really saying to us here in this admonition that we are to shine as lights in the world. Uh, I suppose we begin by asking ourselves does that really fit us? Uh, do you see yourself as a light that shines in a dark place, uh, standing out, something to be noticed? I think sometimes that uh, though we are familiar with the terminology, uh, it may be more difficult for us to really apply that to ourselves than what we would like. Well, what is light? Maybe begin understanding what light is. I think that there's not any of us here that don't understand what light is experientially. We certainly experience light and we know what it is and how it interacts in our life. I looked up in the dictionary and I found two main definitions. Uh, Technically, light is the electromagnetic radiation within a certain portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, If you remember that from science class, which I don't think I remember much about that, but practically, the other definition that Webster gave is that light is the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. I can kind of relate to that, that practical definition of what light is. Because when I can't see something, one of the first things I want to do is turn on the lights or turn the lights up. You know, one of the greatest inventions I think they've come up with, and I guess it's been around for a long while, maybe only miners wore them, but now they have these flashlights that strap to the top of your head. So you don't have to carry a flashlight, it's just there shining all the time. And I think sometimes my grandkids wonder why Pops is walking around with a flashlight on his head all the time. But I find them very useful, uh, going to the garage working to always have more light. Maybe one of these days you'll see me up here with a headlamp on uh, because I can't see my notes. But we recognize that, that if we didn't have light, we'd be stumbling around in the dark and bumping into things. But there are different types of lights in the world. Sometimes we think about light from the standpoint of a light bulb or a flashlight. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, said, in describing the Christian character, that you are the light of the world. And then he went on in, illustra- in illustrating that particular statement by talking about a lamp, or sometimes the Bible talks about a candlestick, which was really an oil lamp that had a wick in it. And he says that that lamp's not designed to be put under a bushel, but you put it in the middle of the room so everybody in the room can see it. Light was meant to be dispersed so that it could make things visible, hence the practical definition of that. We sing, this is the light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And we usually think about a lamp or a small light. But when Paul called Christians lights shining in Philippians chapter 2, he used the word phosphor, if I'm pronouncing that correct, from which we get the word phosphorus. And it was a word that was used in the Hebrew language to describe the celestial bodies. The Septuagint version of the Old Testament 
This is the word that is used in the creation account when God set the, the, the greater and the lesser lights in the sky, the stars themselves. And the word literally means a luminary or that which gives off light so that individuals can see. And of course, we think about light in its grandest sense in our experience is the sun that comes up every morning that lights everything up. Light in the grand scale is a powerful and phenomenal force. How powerful is light? How visible is light in a dark world where there is no light there before? Well, I think as I investigated this a little bit, and I'm not a scientist, but the, the answer to that question was a little too vague to, for individuals to answer definitively. But we might think of it this way. If you go to Google or you look in a science book and you ask the question, what is the most distant star visible? to the unaided human eye, to the naked eye. The answer that's given is the furthest star that we can see with our naked eye is title B762 Cass in the Cassiopeia uh, constellation, and it is 16,308 light years away. Now when I read that 16,000 light years away, what does that mean? Well, you might again, might remember from science class that a light year is the distance that light travels in a year, and light travels at a roughly 186,000 uh, feet per second, miles per second, I think. Really fast, miles per second. So you add that up, and again, I'm not a mathematician, but if you sort of do the math the best I could do it, this V762 star that you're able to see with your physical eyes 96 trillion miles from the Earth. That's a long way. In fact, it's so long that we can't really talk about it in miles. We talk about it in light years from the standpoint of the distance of stars. So if we put that together again, my math might be not accurate, but maybe close, that if it's 16,308 light years away, the light you see from that star with your naked eye left that planet, or that star, 16,000 years ago, and it's this now reaching you, it traveled that far through empty darkness and nothing stopped it. We might think about, wow, that's a long journey, but nothing stopped it. It's absolutely unimpeded from that far distance to your eye when you look out to see it. Light's unrelenting, isn't it? It is absolutely powerful in its ability to penetrate darkness. And we think about that from the standpoint of what God tells us about light in the scriptures. Not just physical light, but as we're talking about this morning, the aspect of light metaphorically to represent spiritual entities, even the character of the Christian. So before we consider the meaning and implication of Paul's statement in Philippians chapter 2, I want to take a couple minutes this morning and investigate the image of light as it's found in Scripture. How does the Bible, God's Word, God's words, how does he use the image of light in Scripture? I believe that what we recognize is that light is mentioned both physically, Genesis chapter 1, the creation of light, it's also mentioned metaphorically. There are 253 times that the word light appears in the New King James Version of the Bible. So it's hard to read the Bible without understanding, without realizing that light's there, always for us to see. Whether it's talking about literal light or whether it's talking metaphorically about light, it always stands in contrast to darkness. That's the image. There's light and then there's darkness. That dichotomy, that distinction between light and darkness is really at the very heart of the God's message. But God's message is objective truth. It's not subjective. It doesn't change. It's not subsequent to the aspect of what you do or I do. 
that there is truth and error. There is light and darkness. There is day and night. And our physical experience on this planet as God has designed it reinforces that for us over and over and over again. We go to bed, it's dark, we get up and the light, and, and the light comes up. And then the light goes back down again, then it comes back up again. And you see there are things that certainly make that distinguishment, you see, more and more obvious to us as our days go on. The image of light in Scripture represents several things, and I think can help us to understand Paul's words here in Philippians chapter 2. We might begin by understanding that light is used to describe God himself. That in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John says, This is the message which we've heard from him and declared to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, when you read that, what does that mean? God is light, in him is no darkness at all. Well, again, you see, you can't get away from that contrast between light and darkness. But certainly it's telling us something about the absolute character of God. Not only is he light, but John emphasized and said, and in him is no darkness. It's not just that there's a little bit of light or that it's a dim light or the light is somehow contaminated with shadows, but there is absolutely no darkness in God at all. So he is light. And we think about how God decides to describe himself again. That's a powerful message. The physical light is so fundamental to life. It's so... Metaphorical light is so fundamental to purity and the concept of purity that John chooses those languages, the Holy Spirit chooses that language to describe God himself. God is also depicted in his presence in light. And when God was making himself known to the nation of Israel, an invisible God to a physical people that were prone to think about God in a physical way, he represents himself by the presence of light. The pillar of fire that led the Israelites to the wilderness in the, uh, during the day, his presence was made known to them by the appearance of a bright light. The appearance of God in the eyes of men, men whose eyes who did not have the physical capacity to take in or to comprehend the presence of God, God showed himself to them in, an, in, in, uh, in some way through the presence of the glory of his light, such as Moses. And so there's this aspect of light as being representative of God himself. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, talking about Jesus, Paul says, who alone has immortality dwelling in an inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be glory and everlasting power. Amen. So in this great description of the nature of divinity, it says that he dwells in inapproachable light. In the 89th Psalm, the psalmist says, the, the righteous man walks in the light of his countenance. Countenance being the outward appearance. And the psalmist would say, this is what we know what God looks like. This is all that we know that God looks like. He looks like light. So he goes on to say in that psalm that those who stay with the light, God will bless them. When Jesus came into the world, when God became flesh, his incarnation is described, interestingly enough, as the coming of light. Isaiah's familiar foreshadowing in Isaiah chapter 9 where he says unto us a child is born and a son is given. He begins that description in Isaiah chapter 9 in verse 2 by saying the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death upon them a light has shined. That the coming of God to the earth was the appearance of a light. Later John described it this way in 1 John chapter 1 and verse, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
He goes on to say there was a man sent from God whose name was John, but he says he came to bear witness of the light, but he was not the light. He says in verse 9, that was the true light which giveth life to every man coming into the world. This was Jesus. He was the light that came into the world that would lighten up every other man. There was no greater light to be presented to man than the person of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus came on the scene in John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus enlightens everything. He is the light. So what that would imply to us, certainly so, is that if we stay with Jesus, we're going to be able to see that if we follow Jesus, that he will lead us through being able to see. Now, that leading aspect that we just sang about is an interesting, is an essential element to understanding Jesus as the light. He is not a light among many. He is a single light by which every man is to be enlightened and he is the one to follow. You know, if you're in a group of folks and you're in a dark place and you have one flashlight, who do you give the flashlight to? Well, I give it to the guy that's up in front, right? The guy in the back doesn't need the light. It's the guy that's up in front because we're going to follow him. So he's the one who needs to see. So if I'm going to go through life and, I need to, and I'm going to follow Jesus, I follow him as the light. And I recognize that he is the one who provides the direction for my life. The second concept, I think, is involved in this, and there's those scriptures we just read, is not only God's identity, but God's work. He creates light. And the creation of light from the physical on down through the metaphorical use of that light presents to us not only that God is light inherently, but that he provides light for us. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3. Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God told the light day, and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. <clears throat> Tells us earlier that God began his work, and there was darkness over the face of the deep, in verse 2. So the beginning state of darkness, but it doesn't stay that way, because God interacts and comes in and creates light. And light was created the first day, I believe, it was a prerequisite to every other element of creation. All the other aspects of creation were based upon the aspect that light was there. Without light, life would not be possible, even human life. So without God, there's only darkness. And if we're going to find what darkness is, that's probably the best definition. The darkness is where God is not. The light is not just, you see, light and darkness are not just contrasting entities. That one is there only when the other is absent. The darkness exists when there is no light, but as soon as light comes in, the darkness flees. It cannot fight against it. It cannot resist it. And so when we talk about this aspect of light, God creating light, it takes us into the metaphorical use in Scripture that God creates light in the soul of man, the spirit of man, through revelation. So the Bible talks about light as being the words of God. The 119th Psalm, your, lamp, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, in the physical world, light dispels darkness wherever it's present. It runs it off. Cannot fight against it, as we mentioned. And therefore gives, gives us the ability to see. So when God reveals his will, transcends every element of darkness, there's no ability for Satan to offer a counter-argument to truth and reality. When God reveals the truth, when you and I know the truth, then it dispels all that darkness. And the way to be able to avoid counterfeit or false religion False information, lies of the world, is to stay in the light and to recognize what the light is and to see the positive element of what God has revealed. If you could see that 
that light, then you have the ability to make wise decisions to move from one place to another. So the Bible talks about walking in the light, as John talks about it in 1 John. Paul commands us to walk as children of light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, he says in Ephesians chapter 5. So to walk in the light is to know that God has revealed his will and his word, then to follow those words and thereby be enlightened to what's going on, not only to who we are, what we're all about, but what the world's about, but where we're going, what the pathway is that will take us there. And so as we mentioned before, there is light versus darkness. As the single most powerful, maybe profound, contrast in Scripture, the character of image of light is always implies the presence of darkness. And that's, I think, certainly true in the physical world, is it not? That light is most visible when there's darkness around us. You know, you go out and you take your, you take your smartphone out in the sun, you look at the screen, you can't see anything. You have to shade it like this to be able to see what it's saying. Because you see, the light, you see, is best seen if it's in a dark environment. If you take it in a dark room, there it is. Not hard to see at all. Now that should tell us something, at least imply something to us, about spiritual truth. The spiritual truth, you see, is not in many ways at some disadvantage because it's in a dark world. It makes it show up better. It makes it more visible and certainly in many ways more appealing when we take light into a dark world than when you take light into a world that believes it's already enlightened. And that's what Jesus found in his own day. There were those, you see, who were experiencing the darkness of the difficulties and the sufferings of life that came to Jesus because they realized he's the light, he's got something to offer. But those who thought they were okay had no need for a physician and did not seek him out because they thought they were okay already. They were already leading down a pathway of light that they were following themselves. So the dark world that we live in can provide for us an advantage if we're willing to shine as lights. But in the fourth proverb, the fourth chapter of Proverbs before, the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines even brighter under the perfect day. The way of the wickedness is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. They don't, do they? And you and I don't sometimes too know what makes us stumble. You ever walk around and you trip over something and what was that? What was that? I don't know, but if you don't get a light, you're going to trip over it again. And even knowing what it is don't necessarily keep you from tripping over it. What you need is something to enlighten it so that you can avoid it. And that's what God's words provide. There's in this aspect of light and darkness, of course, the image of good and evil. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So light represents what is good. Darkness represents what is evil. It's that which we, is appealing to us. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13, verse 12, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So light and darkness, frequently used in scriptures as good and evil, also the aspect here of what's best for us, what benefits us the most. Not the things of darkness, but rather the things of light, the things of revelation. D.A. Carson, in his commentary, explains in the Old Testament as in the New Testament, it most frequently symbolizes purity as opposed to filth, truth or knowledge as opposed to error or ignorance, and divine revelation and presence as opposed to reprobations and abandonment by God. The very fact that you and I can see is an environment of great thanksgiving. 
We don't have to scratch our heads and be perplexed about where we came from. We don't have to wonder or be mystified by the world around us. Be perplexed because God has spoken, told us who we are and what we're for, and that we're, whose image and whom we're created, and our responsibilities, and ultimately even our future. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul urged Christians to not walk as they used to walk before they were converted. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, Your understanding was darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. So Paul would use light and darkness as the aspect of the difference between truth and error, or that which is made known and that which is not made known, between knowing and not knowing. And there are those in the world who look, work at, walk in darkness, who are blinded because, you see, they are ignorant of the truth of God. Now, as we think about this aspect of light and darkness, truth and error, good and evil, what are the implications of it? What are the implications that light has appeared? You know, in John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, the religious leader, he could not enter the kingdom of God unless he was born again. Believing, no doubt, that he was already in the kingdom, Nicodemus didn't understand that statement. I'm kind of back in my mother's womb and be born again. What follows in their conversation in John chapter 3 is some of the most fundamental principles of the Christian experience and what we understand about our own salvation. Jesus says in the very text, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we should not perish but have everlasting life. He tells us there that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn, but rather to save the world. And in this text, he says that light has come. But then he adds at the end of that chapter, most people rejected it. John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth come to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done by God. You think, well, why are so many people going to be lost in this world? More people are going to be lost than going to be saved. And Jesus would bring it down to the aspect of the element, the image of light. It's not because the light has not shined. It's not because there is not illumination, that there is not revelation. But because individuals practicing evil do not want the light and therefore reject it. He goes on to tell us why. Because you see, if light appears and exposes me, it exposes all of me. And if I'm doing what is evil, it exposes my evil deeds. So I must retreat to the darkness or be exposed in the light. Now you put those lights on the side of your house that are motion activated. Somebody walks up to the door, and the lights come on. Why do you do that? Is that so the thief can see better? <laughs> Is that so he won't stumble in the dark and hurt himself? No, the light's coming on to get him to run away, right? Because you know that if you expose what he's doing, he probably won't stick around. And that's the way it is, isn't it? With divine light. That when those lights come on, when the truth is revealed and made known, one very prominent reaction of individuals, you see, is to run away and to retreat back into the darkness. Now that describes then this aspect of the presence of light in the dark world as creating a voluntary blindness among men. There are people who cannot see, and it's not their fault that they can't see. But then there are those who do not see, and it is their fault that they do not see. They are blind of their own volition. And Jesus, you see, exposed those in his own lifetime. 
that rather than repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, they would say, you're just doing your power, but you're doing your miracles by the power of Beelzebub, and we will not have you reign over us. And who are you to tell us what to do? And so they retreated back into the darkness. What we recognize is that God is the only source of true light. We pride ourselves, I suppose, as every society before us as being a very enlightened people that we know more than, we, than people have ever known before. There is so much knowledge out there that nobody, you see, can, we can't fathom how, long, how much we've traveled in such a short period of time in terms of how much we know. But is the world any brighter in terms of divine light? Are we more people of light now because we know so much or is just just as dark as it ever was and maybe in some ways even darker? Most people reject the words of God contained in Scripture from the standpoint of it being objective truth. And Satan, one of Satan's most profound and powerful lies is that truth is subjective, that it moves around from people to people and situation to situation, culture to culture. And this may apply to some people, it doesn't apply to me, or the truth is always the truth. Light always light, darkness always darkness. Or is there some middle ground that I need to know more about? Or when the light does come on, and when truth is revealed, does it not make that dichotomy and that distinction so clear that I cannot reject it? In John chapter 8, as we mentioned before, Jesus proclaimed himself as the light of the world. In the context of that passage, in the the word that follows, John describes to us that Jesus healed a man who was born blind in John chapter 9. A man who couldn't see, not because he didn't want to see, because of physical disadvantage he could not see and Jesus opened up his eyes so that he could see the Pharisees refused to acknowledge this very powerful and apparent miracle for the truth it proclaimed they refused the light that went along with the miracle and what Jesus says about about them is enlightening after healing the blind man the man came and confessed his belief in Jesus Jesus said, for the judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and those who may see may be blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see and therefore your sin remains. Because you think you see, you're responsible for your blindness. Because in taking upon yourself to establish your own light and to walk in your own light, you have rejected the light of God. To refuse to open your eyes to the light of God's truth causes a blindness to what is really true. To receive Jesus as the light of the world and submit myself to the words of truth, those words of light, opens up, you see, my eyes so that I can see. The pulpit commentary says that the light, Jesus, light of Jesus coming into the world originated a process of judgment and discrimination among men. So that what are the implications, the presence of light? What does it demand? Well, light demands that I make a choice, that I have to distinguish between what is right and wrong, to walk in the light or to go back into the darkness, to follow what's revealed or to not follow what is revealed. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. 
Paul is making a point here about the presence of light. If you are the children of the revelation of the words of God and you know the truth, then what that implies is that you must continue to make that discrimination between what is right and what is wrong. All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, Paul says in verse 13. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. If you're willing to make the choices between right and wrong, based upon the revelation of God, God will open your eyes to see more light. And you'll be able to make the choices, the discriminations that are really important in life. We close our eyes to that. We become blind as people, individuals, and I think as well as a society. But light also, the presence of light also demands diligence. Paul describes Christian's watchful lifestyle as one of light or knowledge and not of darkness or ignorance. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 5, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let's watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet of the hope of salvation. That passage is not just about whether or not people get drunk in the daytime. It's about the aspect of light and darkness. And light, the presence of light, is the implication that this is the time when individuals must act and the time in which the revelation would motivate them to do what is right in life. Time is limited because the sun goes down and the light goes out. And there comes a time when no man can work because it's dark. After hearing about Lazarus' sickness, Jesus sought to go to Jerusalem in John chapter 11. But after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if he walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What Jesus was saying is, now's the time. Now's the time. We need to go. And he uses an illustration of the urgency of life and the decision to be made in life as the image of light and darkness. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 12, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. He was telling his disciples, I believe, that there is a time frame to all of this. Your activity and your diligence, based upon the presence of light, you have an opportunity to do what is right and to do what's good. And it's based upon the fact that God has shed the light to make it known. You have a responsibility to act based upon the revelation of God. If you refuse to see the light and act upon it, the darkness may overtake you. Remember your creator days of youth before the evil days come. When a man will say, I have no pleasure in those things. There's a time to act, and that time, you see, is when the light is shining. In conclusion, go back to John chapter 1, verse 5. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it, he says, in the New King James Version. We read that a few moments ago. The light shines in darkness, the darkness did not comprehend it, talking about the incarnation of Jesus. It's interesting to me that some of the other translations few of the other translations that are based upon the more ancient manuscripts such as the American Standard Version and the Holman Christian Standard Version renders the verse this way the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it and there's a difference between 
comprehending something and overcoming something. And there's a sense in which both of those statements are true. Jesus came into this world shedding light and people didn't understand it. They did not comprehend it. They did not accept it. But there's a more, maybe a little bit more powerful image in the aspect that the light came into the world and Jesus brought that light and the darkness could not overcome it. As much as men fought against Jesus, as much as they didn't understand his purpose and misaligned themselves, there was not a single human effort that could stop what Jesus was doing in coming to this earth. The presence of light penetrated every element of darkness and it went unimpeded to its, de to its destination at Calvary in the overcoming of sin. The Apostle Paul said it this way, that he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That in his birth and his teaching and his holy living and his victory over death at the resurrection, Jesus pushed back the darkness. It could not overcome it. And the light of heaven's glory shined for every man to see. And that glorious Sunday morning when Jesus came out of the grave, it was a light that would shine that would never be put out. The death would not win its victory. The children of God would share in the victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and die no more. Because individuals reject that light, because they turn away from it, they continue to walk in darkness and do not have the blessing of God. I hope that's not you. But you recognize that a great light has shined in the world, a light that could not be put out in the person of Jesus Christ. And that light made manifest a truth being revealed. The resurrection of the dead is that, in the resurrection of the dead, is that Jesus wins, Satan loses. And you and I are his children. How can we make sure that we're not blind to that light? How can we help others see what they are many times trying to avoid in their life? And that is the implications of revelation. One last passage, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says this about his own ministry. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We're not going to be discouraged. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. They are those who will not see. They are blinded and veiled, he says. Verse 5, he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I believe what Paul's saying there is that the light cannot be overcome. It penetrates, pierces the darkness. And that if we would have individuals be saved, even in a world where the gospel can be veiled, we must continue to preach Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was going to do, that there's a blindness and unwillingness to accept the truth, but to confront this blindness, we're going to keep on preaching Christ, that others might see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Because he is the source of true light. There's no other way to do it, is there? If we're going to be people that shine and, as stars in the heaven in a dark night, if we are going to be the lights of this world, then it will come through our willingness to preach Jesus Christ and Him alone and Him crucified in no other way. It won't come through social programs or any of the enlightened ideas of men and how to draw people in. 
It won't come through the psychological reasonings of men of what makes life more powerful to us or better for us or how to make ourselves happy. The true light that will dispel the darkness of life comes in the face of Jesus Christ the Lord. We need to preach him and bring people to him. Keep coming back to him over and over again to see the light that he has for us in our life. Have you seen the light? Are you walking in it? Maybe we can help you this morning. If you're not a Christian, you need to turn away from the works of darkness. Being exposed by the light that you know already. You understand from what God has revealed that what you've done in your past is wrong. And maybe what you're doing now is not what God would desire. Don't run back into the darkness. Allow that light to cause you to repent of that sin and turn away from it. And then the revelation of God, you understand that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your only Lord. So confess him before men. And then according to the revelation of God, be baptized in water for the forgiveness of sins. Come to the light. Receive the blessing of God. Can we help you? Let's stand and sing. I am resolved.